Good morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Let me uh, pray for us before we open this up. Lord, um, I feel like uh, you're ringing the dinner bell, the little triangle, uh, saying, come on, kids, come um, belly up to the fullness of what you have and uh, what is uh, available in in me. Uh, And so, Lord, uh, may we throw off everything that hinders. Uh, Would you use this word and the table to literally peel off the things that are hindering us from coming to you uh, and experiencing you the way that uh, we were designed to? Uh, do that, Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, have a seat. I want to uh, start us off whoa, this morning. Um, we're about five, I don't know, four or five weeks into Colossians now. And I want to remind us real quickly before we get into this passage why we're studying Colossians, okay? Because once you do something for a little while, sometimes it's easy to forget, like, well, what are we doing here? And I want to remind us of what Paul's why was, like why he wrote the book. If you remember the very first time we opened up this book, we started with Paul's why, and he said this. He said, Christ is the one that I'm proclaiming and I'm admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's why. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And he says, to this end, I'm strenuously contending with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So that's Paul's why. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm laboring, I desire for you to be fully mature, grow up into the full realities of what's happened for you in Christ Jesus. And I'm strenuously contending for that. And I'm reminding us that that's our why too. It's not just our why in the sense of why we're preaching through this book or this series. It's our why for Midtown. That's why we exist as a church is that we actually believe that the church is a place that God has given us so that we can mature into the full realities of what Christ accomplished for us. And so it's not a destination. We are literally a family that is growing and on a journey together, 
being lifelong learners of growing up into what Jesus has done for us. And, and you've heard us say this before. We believe that there are kind of four areas. I'm sure somebody would break it out more. There's spiritual maturity, my relationship to God. There's emotional maturity, my relationship to myself. There's relational maturity, how do I relate to those in my life? And then there's social maturity, how do I relate to uh, the world around me? You know, the places where God has me. We believe the gospel absolutely matures and transforms us in all of those areas of our life. And Paul was somebody who was maturing. Remember, he's writing this letter from prison, right? And he's writing it to people that he doesn't even know because he loves them so much and he so desires for them to mature into the realities that he's talking about. Think about that. How mature is that to sit down? I can't even write a handwritten letter to somebody I do know. And he's writing a letter to somebody he doesn't even know. And he's saying, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you to grasp this stuff. And he's saying this, if you're going to mature, if you're going to grow up into what Christ has done for you, if you're going to remain in him and his love, because if you remain in his love, it'll transform you. He says, you've got to remember who you are and whose you are. It's absolutely vital. You can't forget who you are, whose you are, and what is most true about you which is what Christ has done for you. I want you to remember that, the, the entirety of what Christ has done for you. I want you to keep exploring the fullness of that. You heard that word in here today, the spiritual fullness that we have in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. I want you to keep peeling that onion back because the more you do, the more you're going to find just how amazing it is what he's done for us. And he's saying, I'm calling you, Colossians, live out of that identity and then the power of the resources that you have in and through Jesus Christ, Christ in you, we talked about this last week, the hope of glory instead of, and this is what they were struggling with, and I'm going to argue that it's what we struggle with too, because we're human, instead of working religion, okay, which is what the Jewish people were doing, their festivals, their sacrificial systems, instead of working religion as some ladder to climb to God or for a Gentile, some mystical, Gnostic, hidden knowledge, the latest, whatever it is in our culture today, and I can pick on some things. I'm going to be very careful to not pick on too many things, but the latest kind of spiritual, philosophical, psychological trend. That was what the Gentiles were struggling with. And he's saying, I don't want it to be about religion. I don't want to be about this mystical kind of Illuminati ladder-climbing knowledge. I want it to be about Christ because that's what it's about. And you already have an identity. You don't need to climb some pathway to an identity to be set apart, to be without blemish, to be without accusation. You have that, and you have it in him. So three things in this passage that I see him calling them to, and he's calling us to, is this. And they're in these categories, and who knows if this will be helpful. I think it will be. Work out, okay? He says, I want you to work out in this gift of faith. I want you to work it out. Go to the gym, okay? There's a way that we participate in what's true. Work out, or, second point, you're going to get worked over. You're going to get worked over, and you're going to get taken captive by something. And you're going to get deceived, which is a kind of a scary thing. It's basically saying you can be a Christian and in Christ and be completely deceived by something. And how do we do that? We step into... The last verses, 9 through whatever it was, 15, we step back into the fullness of it. So work out or get worked over, get back in the pool, okay? Those are the three points. Pretty simple.
Everybody wants to swim, right? All right, here we go. Work out. You guys like to work out? Everybody's like, this sermon stinks. <laughs> you know, I love, I don't love starting to work out, but almost always after I do it, I'm grateful that I did it. That's usually the experience where I'm at least happy how I feel after I did it. Uh, and it is even some of you have told me about this. I haven't quite gotten there yet. You actually begin to crave going and doing it if you do it enough, right? One of the things I hate to do, and remember he's writing this letter to a group of people, one of the things I hate to do is I hate to work out alone, right? One of the reasons that he's writing it to the Colossian church, and he's, he's not writing it to individuals, he's writing it to them, it's, it's the same reason we encourage people to get involved in small groups. Small groups, literally, I would encourage you to think of them like CrossFit or something, whatever your, club, your workout club is. It's a place where we come together and spiritually practice working out these truths into our lives. And he's saying, okay, guys, if you're going to remain and grow and mature in this, the first thing you have to do is find a group of people and you guys got to work out and this is what it looks like. What does he say there? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, he's just been talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. That's the verse right before what Suzanne read. I'm delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. And he says, so then, because of that, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. So then, I'm inviting you. He's literally he's commanding them. I want you to go exercise in that reality of what does it mean to have faith in Christ Jesus. Just as you received him, I want you to continue in him. And what does he say there? He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. We, we read that sort of stuff sometimes, and we kind of gloss over it. It's like, it's like, a, like a title for Jesus. But he's saying something about the nature of how they received Jesus. And it's this, I received him as Lord. I didn't just receive him as my Savior. He is that, right? He saves us from our sins. But in saving us from our sins, he actually moves into this pole position in my life where he's Lord of my life now. He's not just my Savior. He's my Savior and my Lord. He's not just my rescuer. He's my ruler. He has authority. It says there, he is head, verse 9, over every power and authority. You hear what he's saying there? He's on top. He's in charge. Just as you received him, I want you to continue to live in him in the grace of that relationship. And how do you do that? Well, he gives three really powerful metaphorical pictures. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith, and that produces something. I use the word cannonball, right? This is all really true. <laughs> How am I not a cannonball of joy? This is what Paul's saying. When we do these things, when we're rooted, built up, and strengthened, it's literally like a cannonball of thankfulness. It's, it's like David saying, restore me to the joy of my salvation. I'm, I'm plunging into the reality, and it looks like thankfulness. 
Let's look at those words for a second. So when he says continue in, the, the actual grammatical is, is present active imperative. It's present, like right now, continue in. It's active. You need to be active in this, and it's imperative in the sense of you have to do this. It's absolutely necessary. I want you to be rooted. Now think about that word for a second. When you hear that word, what, what's the picture that comes to your mind? Like I think of grounded in or planted in. I think of like, have you ever been outside during a big storm and seen trees just kind of like, they're absolutely getting pushed around at the top, but the base of the tree is absolutely solid because the roots of that tree run deep. Deep roots that can weather whatever is going on up here. Built in, built up. What's the image there? The first one's an image of a tree, roots. Built up is the image of literally a solid foundation. You've heard of Christ being referred to as the cornerstone. First Peter says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Build up is, is a picture, literally, I want your life to be built upon the things that you're doing in your life. I want them to be built upon this foundation of what Christ has done for you and on him. I have the picture, literally, because I've been to Ireland many times, of these stone houses that have been there for centuries and centuries. And you think of all the weather that they've withstood, and it's because they're made out of stone. They're built on something solid. And then strengthened in the faith. It's an interesting uh, kind of word picture. Strengthened in something that you've been given, which is faith, right? Scripture says that faith, it is a fact. It's a gift from God, so we can't boast about it. It's something that he gives us. But Scripture also says that faith is like a muscle, right? It's something that my stamina or my strengthen can actually, my experience of it can increase, right? It can grow. It can be functionally strengthened. It's like my abs. They're, they're there. <laughs> I remember talking with Ford one day, and Ford said, Dad, I've got smooth abs. <laughs> I said, yeah, you do have smooth abs. Ford, me too. But it's, it's right? They're there. I saw a picture, we were looking through some old pictures the other day of me in college, like, geez, what happened? <laughs> There's abs under there, I swear, but they they're there, but they, they haven't been worked, right? They need to be strengthened. When I'm rooted, when I'm built up, and when I'm strengthening, when I'm walking in the strength of that, the fruit of that is this, thankfulness. I want you to have a, sometimes I have to make pictures, I, I draw these things out in my notes or in my own personal notes. Um, so I, I know this is the, the <laughs> it's a triangle with words on it. <laughs> Guys, computers were literally just coming in when I was in college, okay? And I never took any design class. If any of y'all want to help me design slides, raise your hand. I'll get a hold of you. But it's a good picture. You know, we talked about the Bermuda Triangle. Faith, hope, and love, right? And we said that powerful things happen inside that triangle of faith, hope, and love. Well, this is another triangle. I see all these things in here in triangles. Rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith that we've been given. And the inside of that triangle is something powerful, and it looks like thankfulness. And he's saying to them, you can either continue 
in, in practicing this, which is going to birth that thankfulness, that joy, or you're going to get worked over. You're either going to work out in this, or you're going to get worked over, taken captive by a lie. I really want you to consider this, that you're, you, me, we're either working out in the truth of this and of Christ, or we are, whether you believe it or not, I know you said you don't like to work out, we are working out in some substitute truth every day, every minute of every day. We're always working out. We're always exercising faith in something all the time either in the Lord or myself or someone else, some object. And while Paul is encouraging them in this, he's saying, I want you to actively participate. You've been given the grace to participate, continue in Christ in these ways, because if not, you'll always be living out of being rooted in something else, building upon something else, or being strengthened in our faith in something else all the time. You're always under the influence of some spirit all the time. I mean, my friends, and I, you know, depending on how you define addiction, my friends who have struggled with addiction, they get this. They know this, and they preach this to themselves and to other people, and it's this. Addiction, uh, it, never, it never takes a day off. Like sobriety is a daily, minute-by-minute battle. Because I'm fighting either in this way or I'm fighting in some other way. But addiction and sin, they don't take a day off. So I'm either going to continue in this or I'm going to continue in something else. And that's something else. Literally, the picture he's painting here, we think of getting taken captive. I think of pirates. Pirates don't take days off of being pirates, do they? They are swashbuckling and plundering all the time. Full-time piracy. And he's saying, you know, people who struggle with addiction, they get that. They understand, man, if I'm not fighting that fight, I'm going to get absolutely sucked in over here. And so I'm fighting. I'm being rooted in this, strengthened in this, and I'm building upon this. And he's saying, I want you to live out of that place because you have been given something. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self that was ruled by the flesh was put off. You've been buried with him in baptism. You've been raised with him. You have a new life now. And you have been set free, but Paul is saying you can either choose to walk in the depth of that freedom and you can choose to see the unfolding of that treasure and that mystery or you can get, and we can get, I can get distracted, disoriented, lost in the woods, taken captive. And he's saying see to it. (laughs) See to it that no one takes you captive. Warning. He's saying, be careful. And we'll, I'll pick this apart just a little bit more. I think he's saying, be careful, because he's saying it's subtle. It's really, really subtle how we get taken captive. It's not some gigantic, overt, crazy thing, crazy 
lie. It's usually something that's just kind of one degree to the right or to the left of the truth that kind of gets me going in this direction. And before I know it, I've got the hook in. And I'm caught. So I got another picture I drew. (laughs) All right? Throw it up there. So these are the other things that he puts. It's another triangle. I'm not saying Paul was intentionally making triangles. That's how I see it in my mind's eye. He says what? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. So I took those and I kind of broke them down and I said, okay, I can either be rooted in Christ or I can be what? Rooted in human tradition. I can either be built up in Christ or I can be building up or being built up in these hollow and deceptive philosophies. Or I can be strengthened in the faith, which is strengthened in in him, or I'm going to get my strength from the spiritual forces, which basically is the, it's another way of interpreting that is the basic principles of this world. That's where I'm going to get my strength. And he's saying, see to it that instead of being rooted in Christ, don't be rooted in human tradition, which is what the Jews were struggling with, right? That was what a Jew was notorious for, was taking the law even that was given to them in the Old Testament, and then they added to the law, and they added more specific things, and little, now you got to use this much spice, and this time of day, and this sort of stuff. And they'd built all this law on top of the law, right? It was all human tradition. It was things that they had taken, even the law that God had given them to experience Him, and they were adding to it, right? It was a human tradition or built up in Christ, this hollow and deceptive philosophy that the Gentiles were struggling with, this Gnostic, mystic, secret, spiritual knowledge. That was what they were falling into and strengthened in the faith versus the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So I want to talk practically for a second about this triangle because um, I'll argue at the end there that, that instead of thankfulness, fear is what's produced. Um, we all, everyone in this room has been rooted because you grew up in a home full of, of, of people who were affected by the fall, <laughs> right? We've grown up in human traditions and family philosophies, right? Family Ten Commandments is what I call them. Every family has them. You should spend some time with your spouse or some of your friends or whoever, sit down and write out what, what, are, the fam, what are the Ten Commandments that my family had that, that really don't have anything to do with what the Bible says, or maybe they actually do have something to do with what the Bible says, but it's just a little bit off, and that Ten Commandment of my family became more important to us than what Jesus says, because every one of us has them. It's not just a, a wholesale lie. It's just one degree off of the truth. And sometimes those things, they actually, they came up right alongside the gospel, and then sometimes they actually came above it, didn't they? Like, I grew up, I don't think my parents ever said this to me overtly, but I grew up in a community where appearance was everything. It was everything. So how you appeared, not just physically, but how you appeared professionally and emotionally and everything. It was all about keeping everybody thinking a certain way about you, regardless of what was really going on. It was a Ten Commandment 
of my community. And a lot of my life was spent building up around that value that was rooted in me and trying to, in the strength of myself, the basic principle of the world, live out that value. I have a friend who told me, we were talking about this this week, and she said that this was one message that her mother gave to her. She said that my mom told me when I was really young, your reputation is everything. It takes a lifetime to build it, and you can lose it in a second. Now, that's true, right? Like, there's some truth in there. It's not really bad to think about your reputation. There's nothing inherently evil about that, right? And it is true that, that your actions, you know, basically build a sense of who you are, and you can make a mistake, and that can affect your reputation. So you see how subtle it is? There's some truth in there. And yet, when I talked to her and I asked her, I said, so how did that sentence get rooted in you? How did that sentence build, and how did you build up into that philosophy? And what, did, what was the, the fruit that that produced in your life? Here's, here's what she said. No mistakes. Be perfect. No forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. Because you can lose it, right? You can lose it in a second. Which basically means there's no grace for myself, which if there's no grace for me, there's no grace for you. And so don't you see that really where my hope is, my strength is, is now not in Christ, it's in me. And it's this, this Ten Commandment, this, this philosophy of the age that was given to her. And she's literally looking at me and saying, there's so much of my life that's been defined by that one sentence from my mom. So parents, we're in good company, right? <laughs> Thank God that he's setting us free even from the things that we will say to our own children, right? Our hope is not in being parents that parent perfectly. She loves her mom dearly. But you see, you see how the enemy works to get us absolutely rooting and building up and strengthened in something other than what Jesus says is true about us. And he's saying, be careful. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's literally like the film. You guys know how much I love Inception, right? I haven't talked about it in a while. I'm trying to watch more movies. I get it. Remember when Cobb talks about the idea? He says that the idea is like a virus. It's resilient. It's highly contagious. And even the smallest seed of it can grow. It can grow to define you or to destroy you. I'm going to get that idea inside of you. It's going to grow to either define you or destroy you. And he's saying, don't be taken captive. Because what you're getting ca taken captive of, Colossians, and what we might be getting taken captive of, he's saying it's hollow. It's another good metaphor if you think about the tree again. You ever see a tree that looks really solid on the outside, and then all of a sudden the storm comes, or you have to pay to have it cut down? Because when you cut it down, you realize this thing, it looks really solid on the outside, but when you get it on its side, it's completely hollowed out. It's only after it falls, it's only after it fails, it's only after that that you realize on the outside it looked good, but it was rotten. It was deceitful. 
It was hollow. Paul's saying something really, really powerful here. I just I have to say this as a caveat. He's not saying, hey, you in Christ, careful, you can get taken captive and lose your salvation. That is not what he's talking about. He's not saying anything about your standing because if Christ decided, it's done. It is finished. That's why this table is a celebration. Come on. Ding, 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 ding. But Peter warns about this. He says, add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control, not so you can climb some spiritual ladder to a higher experience of God or do more in your relationship with God. Why? Because if you do, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying functionally you become ineffective and unproductive in what's true about you. You don't live into the fullness of who you are. And I'm fighting for you to be full because you are full. You have all the fullness in Christ. I had a friend here in Nashville that I was just meditating on what are the deceitful philosophies of our day? I was thinking about Nashville in particular. Everybody's like, oh gosh, I'm going to start sweating. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't pick on your favorite thing. I almost said it out loud. One of my buddies said this to me. He said, in Nashville, you're only as good as what you're about to do. You're only as good as what you're about to do. What is that about? I mean, what, what, is the, what is the seed that gets in our hearts and our minds that would bear, what kind of fruit would that bear? Well, what that looks like functionally is, is uh, what is the latest fill in the blank? What's the latest theory of learning? What's the latest diet? What's the latest educational bent? What's the latest philosophical school? What's the latest music? What's the latest, what's next, Right? It's not about what is, it's about what's not quite yet and is about to. It's really similar when he said that to me. I'm like, man, that's exactly like the Gnostics. It has me focused on what I haven't yet acquired that's about to happen rather than reveling, celebrating, and unpacking, focusing on this is what I have completely and fully in Christ? It's a great question. I, I, I would love for you to write it down. Maybe some of y'all are in small groups. You can talk about it. What captivates you? Like, what gets your attention and your imagination? What do you talk about really effortlessly? And, and would you dare to ask the Lord? It, I know it may not be all bad, because most of this stuff isn't. But Lord, where has this kind of crept in and, and it's kind of come up alongside of you and maybe even overtaken you in my life? It's captivated me. And, and it's, got, it's got headship in my life. It, it's really the thing that I say, oh yeah, you're Lord, when he's saying, no, 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 it's me. One of the litmus tests that will help you do that, and it's in the triangle picture there, is this. How you know that you might be in danger of being rooted in, building up, and strengthened in something else is is where I'm grumbling. 
Remember, thankfulness, joy is the fruit of being rooted in Christ, built up in Him and strengthened in Him. So if I look at my life and where I can't find any thankfulness or very little of it, and instead, will you throw that last triangle picture up? Instead, I might be overflowing with fear. How about things like, and I'm going to just name some emotions, like restlessness, I'm insecure, or maybe another way of thinking of it is this. I'm anywhere where I feel like I'm empty and trying to be filled. It's a great litmus test. Where, where does it feel hollow? That if I could just get that filled up, then. Then I'm going to be, oh yeah, then. And he's saying... Where you have that feeling, if it's not driving you to this place of rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith, which will result in, I'm full, thankful. That's what you say at the end of a meal, right? Man, thank you. If it's not leading to that, then maybe I'm dining at a different table. Maybe I'm rooted in being built up in and trying to find strength in something that actually is empty. And I'm trying to fill that empty that I feel with it. And it's not doing it. And here's a confession. I've talked about the addicts because I, I, I am an addict. <laughs> I think we're all addicts on some levels, all trying to medicate with something. It's, it's, it's a daily 20 times a day battle, what I just described. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about it where he says, I want you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Whoa. That means... All sorts of times throughout the day, I'm taking that thought or that feeling that I have and I'm bringing it to Jesus. And it says I'm making it obedient to him, right? Because he's Lord. I'm going to bring it to him and I'm going to say, what is my confession about the truth of what I have in you? And when I bring it to you, you deal with the emptiness, not me. You fill me up. You make me glad because I experience what I have in you. So i got to work out in that or I'm going to get worked over. And how do we work out in it? Rooted, built up. Well, what Paul does here, and I'm just going to say a couple things about this because we could preach 20 sermons on the things, the theology that he says in these last few verses. But he basically says this, I want you to cannonball back into the fullness of what you have in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Have been brought. It's done. He's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. I read all that. You've been buried with him in baptism. You've been raised with him through your faith. He's canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. He's nailed our sins to the cross. And he's disarmed the powers and authorities. There's a lot in there. I'm just going to say a couple things about those things. What does that mean? What does it mean that we've been baptized into his death? I literally remember when Nash had the, the big bucket of water and he dropped the glass into it. It's literally the picture in baptism we sprinkle here uh, so we don't get the full picture of that. <laughs> Thank you for getting the sprinkle joke. Uh, Presbyterian, no? Anyways? Baptism is literally, when you think about submerging somebody, it's literally they're dying and being raised, right? 
He's saying when you were baptized into his death, you were submerged into him and what he did for you. Remember when Jesus was baptized by John and John was like, no, dude, you don't need to be baptized. And Jesus said what to him? He said, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John agreed. What did Jesus mean? He meant what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I, I have to be there and be baptized for your sins. I don't, I don't need to repent of anything. But I, I'm taking on your sin, and I have to be buried and raised so that you might have my righteousness. That's what we feed on at this table. Circumcised, it says there. You had your flesh circumcised. What is circumcision? It's the cutting away of something, right? It's a physical act in the Old Testament symbolizing God's choice. I chose you, and I'm marking you with a sign, the sign of circumcision. But we know that that was just a picture looking ahead. Ezekiel talks about this, that I'm going to circumcise your heart and give you a new heart and a new spirit, right? I'm going to cut out your heart of stone and give you a new heart to follow me. And it's not just going to be for the dudes. And it's not just going to be for the Jews. It's going to be for the Gentiles and for the women because my kingdom family is way bigger than you thought. That happened for you. You've been baptized. You've been circumcised. And you've been raised with him. To fullness in him. To new life in him. And it's a life where it says there that he has done away with the powers and the authorities of this world. And I know there's like supernatural metaphysical parts of that, but I really want you to think practically about this, which means that a lot of those things that we buy into, those other things that we're rooting ourselves in and being built up in and all of that, those things have power in our lives, don't they? I'm affected by those things. They sway me. And he's saying, if you're going to actually walk in the realities of what I've done. You need power to do that. Because if not, you're under, you're under the influence of a different spirit. And so literally, if I'm going to come out of the elemental spiritual forces of the world, I'm going to battle, the real battle like Ephesians 6 says, I have to have power to live in that freedom. And he's literally saying, in me, you know, like in a, I was watching Mission Impossible the other day, and they're trying to figure out the key code for the bomb, right? He's literally saying, if you're going to disarm this bomb of the spiritual forces of this world, you need me. I am the key code. The power resides in me and what I did, not what you're going to do. And you have it because you have me. So in Christ, when we come to this table, he's the key. He's the key to facing all the loss that we'll face in this life with hope and with grace. He's the key to suffering well and loving well in a world that's shattered by sin. He's the key. He's the power. In him is the way that we don't get taken captive by hollow promises of things like money or fame or the next new thing, or success, or whatever the things that the world is saying, if you get that, that's what life's about. He's the key to having those things have the place that they should in our lives. Don't hear me saying those things are bad things. Those things are things that are under him. And he's saying, if you want to walk that way, 
It's in me. Continue in me. And be careful because you can be deceived. But you have fullness, and that fullness is complete. So we're going to come to the table. This is one of the sacraments that the Lord gave us because he said, you're going to have to work out in this. This is a way he roots us, builds us up, and strengthens our faith. Supernaturally is when we come to this table and we feed on him. And he says, I want you to come because you have to remember and proclaim my death until I return. And there's something spiritually significant about us doing that, right? Because I'm forgetful. I get taken captive. And so I come to this table to be rescued from that mindset and brought back into the fullness so I can say with my mouth, yes, this is what's true. And I'm a forgetful man. So I need to be reminded all the time. And this table reminds us this is what's true. If you're not in Christ, if you're in Christ, come on. If you're not in Christ, and how I would phrase that based on what we just talked about this morning is this. If you're trying to self-heal through your knowledge and the next thing, if you're trying to deal with the emptiness through your own knowledge and your own effort and whatever's next, then Jesus is saying, hey, would you set that down and come to me, come to faith in me and feed on me, and then come to this table because this table declares that. But he's inviting you. Maybe you are deceived this morning. Maybe you are spiritually lost in the woods. And he is saying, child, I'm chasing you down right now. And I'm, I'm trying to wake you up from where you are deceived because I want to set you free. I'm not turning you into my slave. I'm turning you into my son and my daughter. So if you're not in Christ, don't come to this table. Come to him. Then come to the table. And then there's an invitation for us to examine where have you been taken captive. If you're in Christ, he says, Paul says, I want you to examine your hearts so that you eat of the bread and take of the cup in a worthy manner. It's a great opportunity to say, Lord, where have I been taken captive? Where are the places in my life where I've just kind of stacked something on top of you that's maybe in my life become more important to me than you? Can I repent of that, set that down, and then come to him, okay? I'm going to pray for us here in a second. The servers will come. And when you're ready, put out your hands. They'll be happy to serve you. Take your time. Uh, if you're gluten-free, that's over here on this far side. If you need prayer, maybe you need somebody to pray for you that God would literally help your mind come awake to the places that you might be being taken captive. Ask for prayer. Ask for the Lord to step in through one of your friends and have someone pray for you. When you're done, you can come down the middle aisles and exit down the sides. And if your children are coming with you, which is a great opportunity for them to experience what you're doing, but if they're not partaking of the meal, would you just help the servers know, hey, they're not uh, partaking of the sacrament, uh, but bring them, bring them along. It's a great opportunity uh, for them to see uh, who Christ is to you, okay? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, that you gave us this meal. And you gave us this meal on the night that you were being betrayed. And you, it says, you gave thanks. You were thankful. <laughs> that's, that's hard to believe. That you were thankful for what was about to happen because you knew that it was the only way that we would have your righteousness. That we wouldn't be slaves for the rest of our lives. To sin and to fear and to death. And you said, this is my body which is for you. 
and do this in remembrance of me. And so we do it, Lord. We eat this bread in remembrance of you. And we take the cup, remembering that you say this is the new covenant. You have promised, and you never change your mind. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So we come to this table, Lord, remembering and proclaiming, uh, rooting ourselves and being built up and strengthened by your sacrament and what's true. Um, Would you set us free? We ask this in your name. Amen.